Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis. How are you doing, Scott? Really well, thanks, Evan. Uh, glad to be back on the show. Um, yeah, um, kind of uh, counting down the days to uh, to holiday, but um, looking to finish the, the year off with a nice podcast today. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, there's not that many days left. By the time this comes out as well, there'll be even fewer left in this roller coaster of a year. Um, yeah, it's a good day. Today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, uh, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. Both Scott and I uh, work here as senior front-end software engineers, and we're glad, as always, to have their support with this show. Today, we have a special guest. Uh, you might have heard us introduce him on a previous episode as a uh, true front-end hero for um, his work in the areas of performance. Um, Fabian, will you introduce yourself, please? Yes, it's nice uh, to be on your podcast. Uh, my name is Fabian. I'm also working for NetCentric, and uh, i am uh, yeah, created a web performance community. And since this year, I can focus all of my... Uh, work on on web performance and I'm quite happy about it. So I started out as a front-end developer doing this for 15 years, uh, but now focusing a little more on the UX part of web performance. And yeah, that's what I'm doing. Great. Thanks. Uh, today's show title is Great Responsibility. And it comes from, of course, our uh, our show's uh, closing tagline, with great front-end power comes great responsibility, originally from Spider-Man and I'm sure other things before then as well. Um, and really, we just want to talk about, you know, we're building our front-ends. Uh, how do we make sure that the greatest number of our users can actually use them in the end? This goes into a lot of different areas, but um, I think we should start with how we even define a baseline for ourselves to move forward with. So... Um, Fabian, maybe you can talk a bit about this uh, recent, I, I say recent, but it was in April already, uh, initiative by Google, um, the uh, core web vitals, and what that means and uh, how you even, what, what's the value that's uh, coming from that redef redefinition? Yeah, so it's always hard to uh, to measure UX or web performance. So to have this one number, which really tells you how, how good the web performance is and what Google came up with uh, this year was like uh, yeah, marketing calling Core Web Vitals. So they're talking about three uh, um, metrics they use for this. And uh, this is focusing on the largest element. Uh, so the time when this is rendered, because they think this is relevant and this is describing a little bit the loading time. Um, then they... Um, also have a cumulative layout shift. So this describes a little bit how stable the layout is uh, when things are loading. And uh, a third uh, metric is first input delay, which describes how fast the browser can respond to user um, action. So, um, and for this three metrics, they have like uh, a threshold where they say uh, this you have to reach for 75% of the users, and then they consider this as uh, as good. And uh, this becomes quite relevant because they also announced that they will use it as a uh, search, uh, search engine ranking factor uh, starting next May, so May 2021. And therefore, it's, um, it's a good uh, metric, which is easy enough uh, to... Um, 
to explain it to your clients. And um, as it comes from Google, they also believe this is a good idea to, to measure this. And you also get the benefits of Zeo, which is relevant for most of our customers. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's always um, my first thought when these sort of things are um, uh, coming out is, you know, uh, like with AMP in the the, the old days, I, I could see somewhat the benefit to that of focusing on these super fast to load pages for the end users. But then it got a little fuzzy in the middle of, you know, uh, if you're not in that program or don't want to, you don't get the search results you want. This seems to be much more genuinely focused on the end user. Um, and less about marketing, perhaps. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, so I guess Google is, uh, really wants to uh, benefit the users here. And um, and also, if you see how they what they're doing for the developer community and how they drive those topics, uh, and they even turn down money uh, for advertisement if your page is too slow. So all these factors really show, I guess, that Google really... Um, yeah, I want to benefit the user here. So this is, for me, at least believable. <laughs> um, Scott, what's been your opinion? I know you were excited about this when it came out as well. Yeah, well, I think that the the main benefit for, for this, and I don't know, Fabian, maybe you'd have more experience of this for me, is um, when you start talking about performance with, um, with clients, um, there's... Uh, if there's not too much, if there's not a good history between you and the client, and I don't mean in like um, terms that a relationship's broken down, it's just if you've if you've been involved with a client but for a short period of time, talking about things like performance can sometimes feel like oh, well, we're just trying to tack something on um, to a project, um, and in the worst cases, the worst like suspicions. Um, like extract more money from a client. Um, it's like a hidden, it's like a hidden thing. So the thing that, that really, um, I like about this is that, um, it gives a, a real kind of official feel to, to what we're actually trying to do, because at the end of the day, as developers, we are trying to, um, produce something which is the best experience for our end users. The focus is always on that. Um, and I feel that that's the the real key for me with this. Uh, a well-established, like a giant of of the internet, has said, "No, no, to to actually give your user that experience that you're looking for, these are things that can that are going to provide that, and this is um, this is what you should be focusing on." And I think that for me, that gives just the the extra push uh, towards um, selling this to clients as something that's truly important. I mean, I guess you you talk with clients more about this, Fabian. So is that something that you've found? Um, yeah, definitely. So this is, um, yeah, this helps a lot in, in the daily life of explaining things to clients. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it just feels like, um, and, and I have used this, uh, in a project that it's just a way, a, a real clear way of giving focus because, um, with developers, we've, we've quite often known these things. Um, I mean, another question for Fabian in a minute is like, were before core web vitals came along, are these the things that you were kind of measuring anyway? Is this, is this just something that's, um, like put some clarity to it, some order to, to what you um, you were tracking anyway. But I think that it's just the, the real focus, um, and making things simpler for clients, like 
actually just giving real focus instead of showing them waterfall charts uh, and saying, oh, this is where things are going wrong. We need to speed this up here. It's just a real um, nice, succinct way of putting something to decision makers at clients. That's, and for me, that's the real, that's the real thing that you need. You need somebody, you need a dashboard, you need something that people can focus on numbers and are we hitting them? And it actually, for me, it gives license for developers to say, okay, so we have a target, we have the figure, now let's get creative. Let's find how we can make these things happen. So I think it opens up more possibilities for devs as well. Yeah, I I, uh, I really appreciate as well how they've broken it down. So um, looking at, even if you go to uh, web.dev, that's where they sort of have all of these things that they're pushing forward. And then the web.dev slash vitals, really simple already to get to. And then they break it down into the three things that they're measuring, at least in this initial set. So one, I really like that this is going to evolve over time, that they're uh, open to the idea that, yeah, things change. They change fast on the web the way that things happen work. I mean, we didn't have HTTP2 ages ago, and now we do, and that changes how you load things anyway. And then breaking it down into these three sections, the first one being focused on loading, like not just how quickly does it load, but the biggest thing that has to load on your page, how quickly does that load? Because that is a big chunk, potentially, that it needs to paint and if there's stuff there, you want to make sure it's there faster. Then there's the uh, interactivity part. So how long does it take before your site, the user can actually like start to scroll or move around or click? And then the final one, which I think we've completely ignored in previous years because we're so focused on you know just file sizes, is uh, this visual stability, this cumulative layout shift, as they call it. So as things are loading, how much are they moving around? Uh, it are is animation moving them into place or, or are you accidentally like how much control do you have over how the page is being put into place and built as a, as it's loading. For me, those are really interesting metrics. And uh, again, what I like is not just the simplicity of the explanations there, but that they are taking a step further than what we've ever measured in the past. In the past, we said, how big is this CSS file? Um, how much is above the fold? Those things while still important, are sort of built into how at least these initial uh, web vitals are, are being measured. Those are there too, but they're more specific. Yeah, one big change uh -huh. probably we should also talk about uh, is uh, moving away from uh, the measurement tools from uh, having synthetic tests because uh, before often Lighthouse score was uh, the way uh, you measured things, um, the results are from Google and quite common with all our clients. But what you do here is you simulate like uh, an older device and uh, a slow internet connection. And um, so this is not real users. And with um, the core vitals are now a real um, RAM uh, metric, we, we call it, so real user monitoring. So this means this is collected from um, real users. And uh, therefore, it's also much more interesting because this is, actually what was measured on the device on the user and um yeah so this is not uh just synthetic lab data anymore so this is also a huge shift uh, because before it was also hard because most of our clients don't really measure uh, the web performance for the user uh, they're measured uh, or they use synthetic tools to to measure what and this is not uh, the same how are you actually 
doing the in, in terms of actual implementation how are you doing the measuring so there is a library from google so web vitals it's on github so it's open source you can install to your site and they have connectors for google analytics but you could also probably send it to other analytics uh, software so this is convenient but because most of the clients already have this running and um, this is one thing um, you can have it also in the google search console so they are also checking the web vitals for you but there it's a moment for one client i have an issue because if I run it uh, on the page directly, I get good uh, values. And in in the um, Chrome uh, console, uh, search console, it's uh, it's not updating. I don't know why. <laughs> and um, then you also get it if you run PageSpeed Insights, you can get it. Um, so they show you lab and um, uh, synthetic data on one page. This is quite interesting because there you see how big the difference between them is so often the lab data are much worse than what you see in real life because often as web performance uh, specialists we usually uh, test on a fast 3g connection and uh, yeah most of the people have a faster connection so that's also quite interesting and it's not always um, easy to explain this to the clients to <laughs> And yeah. uh, there are a lot of other tools. So we, for example, use Speakoff in our company, but uh, also Mpulse and um, uh, Catchpoint. So there are a lot of other tools and they all jumped on this uh, and measure the metrics with RAM data if you buy the package. But those tools can be quite expensive. I think that was really interesting, though, that um, just how serious uh, the the performance community really took uh, core Web Vitals when it came out. I mean, the the take up immediately um, for things like Speed Curve, um, it was it was integrated very very quickly. So it just gave another indication that this is something that was that was going to be here to stay and something that we should really pay attention to. Yeah, my my next question would really be: Okay, you've you've done these measurements, you've gotten some good insights. Um, what are the sorts of things that you end up needing to change to to make your results better? Um, have either of you had any experience with that in particular of, okay, well, I'm not doing well on this uh, cumulative layout shift score, uh, and now I need to <laughs> set widths and heights on my images so they at least pre-render. Um, anything like that? Yeah, so I do a lot of audits these days and uh, definitely the cognitive layout shift in our projects at least uh, is the worst problematic because uh, this is also quite a new topic because there was no uh, measurement before for this. So this wasn't really a priority for developers to really um, check this. And also developers usually have a very fast internet connection. So uh, often you don't really see this effect uh, if you have uh, uh, the newest Mac and uh, super fast internet. So therefore, but unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, it's, it's easy to fix. So uh, most of the issues we have uh, with images, which have no width and height. And um, yeah, so this is something we fix at the moment. I also see a little bit issues with um, web fonts. So if the uh, if you use font display swap and you uh, switch the fonts uh, and the fonts, the fallback font and the web font are uh, not similar enough. Uh, then you pro probably get also different line breaks, and this could also have some impact. 
but usually this is not a, a super big impact. So for our project, at least we don't use um, advertisement a lot or anything. So this could be also an an issue, but yeah, I don't have this often. For me recently, with the, oh, sorry, Fabian. Um, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, um, for me recently, um, looking at performance, um, it didn't so much have uh, cumulative layout shift uh, problems. One thing that we did do, um, which we weren't doing, was uh, preload the, the banner images, um, which did improve things. Um, it was a nice, it was a nice little improvement and very easy to do. Um, but I don't know whether it's just as a just purely as a user of um, of some terrible sites. Um, a cumulative layout shift for me was like a huge problem. I, I would fi- I would really honestly find myself navigating to um, sites that I had no desire to go to just because I'd pushed an advert whilst I was trying to read an article. Um, like I'd read a, a, an article on football, for instance, and then the the page would suddenly shift, and the next thing I know, I've clicked on something and I'm miles away. And it was uh, genuinely, as a user, it was really. I was really sick of it, and there was a there was um, some development that we did with a, with a client not too long before uh, Web Vitals called Web Vitals came out, where we were basically loading in a third party um, widget, um, and the first thing that I thought was, I can't have this so that it moves the whole page. Like, so I actually fixed that before um, it became a metric, but that was really like that was just chance that was just because my own user experience was of other sites was oh my god this is so annoying when everything just moves like we can't let this happen so like i'm giving myself a little bit of a pat on the back there um <laughs> like which occasionally i don't mind but i mean that that again like points to what a useful metric it is like i know firsthand just as a user not as a developer that, like this is so infuriating when it does happen so it's really worth paying attention to well, in fairness, it is a, a relatively new thing um, as the ad networks have grown and people rely on advertising revenue to run their what are pretty much free sites, then they've had to add more and more interstitials and all these things. And those have gotten larger because, you know, the ad networks don't always care. And so they're not pre-rendered. They load after the page loads and then you have all this other stuff that happens. It's unfortunate that it's happened that way, but it's it can be really annoying. So it's nice that they're even someone that is as ad focused as Google is noticing that that's a problem and, and trying to find a solution for it. Um, uh, uh, my own experience has been with um, actually the, the middle of the, the three, um, the first input delay in particular, when you're using um, single page applications, there is a tendency to have this sort of, well, it needs to bootstrap, it needs to load the JavaScript, then bootstrap the app, and then figure out what route it's on. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens before it's actually able to be interacted with. And bringing that down has changed the way we're building our apps to begin with. You do a lot more uh, trying to do server-side rendering now and get the page, get the uh, application part of it to initialize after the initial content's already there. So at least they can start to read and there's buttons to click. And then the login and all that other stuff needs to be seamlessly just sort of popping in into the background. It's hard. It, it changes the way you develop. But at the end of the day, it's better for the end user. They have a more seamless experience, right? And that's what this is all about. 
Yeah, yeah. The largest uh, contentful paint is also quite tricky on a lot of because our company is specializing on uh, yeah big brands which have usually marketing pages and uh, they really love their big uh, stages with uh, full size images. And um, I even had. Uh, a slider with uh, five autoplay videos with one customer <laughs> or another used uh, two megabytes animated GIFs. And um, yeah, and often this becomes an also a content issue. So there's technically only so much you can do. And it's uh, therefore I switched also a little bit my role and uh, to be early in the project. So already talk to in the design phase with people and um, raise their attention if I see, okay, we can't really fix this on the technical side. That's still a little bit the issue that web performance is uh, by a lot of people still seen as a technical problem, which you probably might solve in the last sprint of the project, which is um, yeah, definitely not the case. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess I want to transition a little ways away from this because this is a, a really good metric but it comes at the tail end of a long amount of conversations and implementation practices around uh, more or less the, the core topic of our show here, which is providing access to the most users possible. And, you know, we've talked about performance previously and that, that matters a lot, but we also should talk about accessibility. Um, and in particular, you know, each of us can sort of share some of our experiences of how we've been faced with uh, maybe repercussions for not giving attention to accessibility soon enough. Um, I can start uh, in a particular case I was working on. We just put off uh, keyboard navigation uh, until much later. But it turned out that one of the um, clients that we were doing, building this for was a you know open employer. They They had actually employees that could not operate uh, the website that they needed to use with a mouse. And this was like an intranet kind of a thing. And it was called to attention that if we released this website without proper keyboard support, not only would they not be able to use this, but then they would be impaired from doing their actual job, which is one of the things we were building this site slash app for. And then the client could get sued uh, as a result. And, you know, th those are the, the sticks of it all, but it's still just really called attention to, yeah, we do this as an afterthought sometimes, but it really can't be. There are uh, so many people that, for whatever reason, don't use a mouse um, and you need to have a keyboard. And that's that's just scratching the surface of what accessibility is. Um, Fabian, do you want to talk a bit about that? Because I know you've championed for this in the past as well. Yes, I, I guess I, I I really like both topics. So, but I'm a little bit more focused on web performance uh, at this stage. But I guess both topics quite similar because um, it's a topic you have to uh, address at the very beginning of the project. Um, because also, if you really want to take accessibility serious, you also have to, to test it uh, uh, with people who really know uh, screen readers and. Uh, uh, there's also a lot of things uh, you, you have to do on the design side to make sure all the contrasts are good, that you don't rely only on color and um, yeah, that also the spacing and the elements where you have to press buttons are big enough for people to to get. And um, yeah, and then development is definitely also a part. 
uh, accessibility. It's uh, it's often if you have a lot of JavaScript um, um, functionality, then this can can become quite tricky. And but also the content at the end, and I guess with web performance, it's the whole it's the same story. So you have to uh, talk to the same people about both topics, and um, if you keep this until the end of the project, uh, this never really ends well, because uh, yeah, it's much more expensive. So you have to do things from scratch, uh, and um, yeah, also you need really the uh, a culture that people really. Uh, test it, think about it, and in all the discussions, this is always uh, a point you have to check. And that is uh, still not the case there. And I have the feeling it's not because people don't want to do it. It's still the case that a lot of people just don't know about it. I think it's the it's kind of the easiest thing to overlook and for me. That's, personally, um, I just let, share the, share my experience with with um, accessibility probably like 12 13 14 years ago even um when i was working for um another project um it was a at local government level in the uk um and every bit of focus with this with this project was on accessibility it was the key driver because when you're using public money um and there's legislation coming that your that the web has to be inclusive, then where the, then public institutions like uh, local government that's that's when they're going to be big drivers of this because they're really fearful of that. They're always looking at like how they're spending the public's money. So um, that project for me was the the key for my understanding of of accessibility. Um, we were we were audited heavily um, to make sure that the the site was was fully accessible to double a standard um we had to know we had to know all the all the rules if you like that led to to double a all the criteria um and if ever i needed like to to think of how important it was i was at a conference again like 13 years ago perhaps um and just for 20 minutes um one of the speakers was uh, was blind and she just said right my talk is going to be looking through a website going through a website on a mobile device um and let's just see how easy it is and it was absolutely the most excruciating 20 minutes you just everybody in the room thought like we can't let this happen this is just this is awful um and so that really stuck with me. I think that since then I've always been aware, but I also understand that for many clients and for many developers, it is something that can slip your mind because it does simply doesn't affect you. It doesn't present itself to you um, every day. Right? And that's the, I don't think there's malice with the way that people develop it. There's no malice with, I don't think there's with clients, they want to cut corners. And so they're prepared to, to cut accessibility. It's simply that they just, it's out of sight. So it's out of mind. Yeah. I, I had a, a similar conference talk experience with Leonie Watson, uh, who is a, a very um, good advocate for uh, doing things the right way and showing why it sucks when you don't um, for for different user sets. But um, moving a little bit beyond that, uh, 
yeah, okay, we forget and these things kind of, uh, we, it's not right in front of us. So we put it off to the last minute and, and to, to bring it back into performance as well. As Fabian, you said that you need to start at the beginning of these pipelines to explain to the designers even, or the UX uh, part of the process, what is feasible versus not, or what is good for the end users versus not, or what is going to be impactful on performance versus not. And I feel like that is the hardest part of this is to get everyone onto the same page. How, how do we approach that? I mean, I know we don't necessarily have full success and yes, information is a big part of it, but, but how do we even begin to go from everyone is informed to we're still building really good things in a reasonable amount of time, but we also have this as the cornerstone of our building process. And this comes first performance and accessibility first, other stuff, <laughs> secondary, how do we switch the mindset there? Yeah, so first, I guess you need to have a goal in the project. So it has to be defined and uh, probably written down to, for everyone to see what's a, what's the priority of web performance and accessibility in the project. So this is often not done. And uh, often in our projects, designer design is done by other companies and they are probably hired by a different department from our customer, uh, probably the marketing de uh, department, and we are coming through the IT department and um, yeah, when we approach the project, often the designers uh, ready and there was no really um, discussion about it. So there were no front-end developers involved or experts in the topic. And this is a little bit um, the struggle we have. So if, if we start a new project from Eccentric, what I try to do internally, give a lot of internal talks, uh, share, uh, share knowledge and so that people know, okay, these are topics we have to address and uh, the earliest people is probably account managers or project managers. They really uh, have to know that these topics are relevant, that they bring in the right people at the very beginning of the project. And uh, this is getting better. So a lot of colleagues are contacting me internally uh, and asking for support here. Uh, but uh, we are not doing a perfect job in every project here, definitely. And it's really hard, I guess, uh, nobody really is doing it. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, as well, uh, in, in previous years, we've tried to ignore that or ignore those problems to a degree of saying, yeah, you know, we'll do our best to start at the beginning and get them to do it there. But maybe we can raise the attention to this issue sooner if we integrate some sort of checks into our, even our build process. So, um, you know, in the past we had um, sonar linting rules that when the everything was building on the server, it would run through the HTML. Uh, that's not always possible anymore with the amount of templating we're doing, but, you know, to flag at least that things are being uh, semantically built correctly, which is an important starting point. Um, have you run into any linting tools that help? I remember there was one that was like Narwhal um, from Microsoft. Um, but has anything else come to mind for you that, and is that in a, is that a part of the process that we could tackle to maybe introduce awareness of performance and accessibility issues sooner? Actually, I am thinking about it at the moment for one client. So what is the best way if you have all the possibilities to measure web performance? And for me, the development part is probably the most, or the hardest part, because 
uh, to get realistic. So you need first content to really measure things. So if you build, for example, an image component, uh, it makes a huge difference if the image you upload with it is uh, 10 kilobytes or one megabyte. <laughs> and um, therefore often, so it probably is different if you're working on a single page application, then you have probably uh, the architecture is uh, has a huge part of it. But what I see for also for my audit, so if you do a good job with web font loading, you have a good strategy taking care of your images, uh, you have a, a good bundle JavaScript uh, and CSS files. So what we try is to have best practice ar around those topics. And once they're in place, then you're on the technical side often already quite good. So if you're working on a component, you probably have to make sure that you don't introduce any layout shifts or that you don't um, uh, yeah, add long-running JavaScript tasks. But um, yeah. More than this is often than uh, on the content side, which has a bigger influence on web performance. Yeah, one of the the things as well that I've been trying to push within my own teams and, and projects, and not always successfully, is okay. Let let's put all these metrics aside. Um, put yourself into the mindset of a user, and just. You know, even if it's put in on a slower connection or put it on a mobile, load the site that or load the app you're building. How does that feel to you? We get so caught up in the individual features we're building that sometimes we forget to take a step back and just feel the process. And when you do so, it's easy to spot things like cumulative layout shift because you didn't put a loader in place where you probably needed one. If you if it's too late to change some of these things you're doing, at least you can make it feel better. You know, there there's uh, lots of different ways to approach that as well. It's not the perfect solution, but at the end of the day, your goal is to give the users a, a fluid uh, feeling and, and a, a feeling of uh, interest and attention and joy when they, they browse the things that you create. Um, so there's there's other ways besides just the metrics ones as well. I, I don't know. It's not necessarily the best <laughs> uh, mindset to have, but it can make things better when it's maybe too late uh, before the next release. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the biggest issue is also that uh, as developers, we have the, the latest hardware and good internet uh, connection speed. And uh, so for us, we don't really see often issues. Uh, you would have, uh, you would see if you would test it with a uh, 200 euro Android phone, probably uh, with a, a throttle network connection if every developer would test their code uh, under these conditions, you probably would, uh, this would probably help more than uh, using linters sometimes. Yeah, but I think that maybe, I mean, you make a good point there. Like we do all use the best hardware, but like developers are always going to do that. They're always going to try and to maximize their time. Like really, um, we have we have testers who um, who jump in and make sure that our features work correctly, the, the work that we've done works correctly. I mean, to me, the the, the testers probably don't need those like super fast devices. What they actually need is to really look at them, really look at things as a user. Um, I mean, I'm not advocating that uh, that we should just develop whatever we want and then the testers tell us we should take responsibility for the things that we build. Um, and I think eventually clients will, clients will start just um, 
believing that as developers and as software houses, we should actually be delivering things that um, are accessible to all and are as performant as they can be. That I think they would just start thinking that as a standard. Like, um, it's not for us to to just ignore those or kind of um, say, oh well, there was no mention of it in the project planning, so we're not we're not going to do that. But testers really, really need to to chime in here um, and make sure that they really champion the user as like the fail safe. Um, then we could actually do something about that. There's, I think developers developers environments and their hardware is always going to be good. It's always going to be because we, we want to develop with the fastest tools that we can. Um, but testers perhaps don't need that. There's a, um, a metaphor here or it, uh, yeah, anyway, it applies, <laughs> um, an anecdote, which is, um, I saw it in a movie first. I saw it in, um, the movie's name escapes me, but the really good one about, uh, Glenn Hasgard or with Glenn Hasgard in it, um, about being a musician and in Dublin and things, regardless, the musicians often when they're recording a record or doing some sort of uh, track or, or longer things, they will, uh, before they're done doing the mix and all of the, you know, finishing the audio track off and, and mastering it, they'll put it onto some sort of format, get out of the studio and go into some someone's old car from the 80s and drive around listening to the thing that they made. And that's that kind of test of you're not going to be with these thousand euro headphones in a closed studio booth listening to your music. Most of the time, if you're their average audience, you're going to be bumming around in your car with traffic noises all around you and kids screaming in the back. Listen to it in that context. Does it still feel good to you? And I think that really fits for people's websites as well. You know if it's hard to use. You do. And at the end of the day, you know if it is not fulfilling the web vitals. But take it out for a test drive yourself every now and then as someone that is not as privileged as you and see how it works and fix it and make that your de facto and your default. Yeah, isn't there a, isn't there um is it like the New York Times or something? I, I God, we're we're terrible for these little stories. Um actually remembering the details. But there's there is some company where on Fridays they don't they have to they switch JavaScript off of browsers or something like that. And they, they have to use like their site without JavaScript just to, to see, like just to highlight issues, like what's going wrong. What can we not use? What is like, if, if this is gone, then how easy is it to actually accomplish anything? Um, and I think that that is, you know, that's a similar thing. Um, just really getting yourself to see things, through other people's eyes, right? And it is it is really valuable. Again, it's something that really needs to be put into the culture of uh, of a project or an organization because that is exactly the sort of thing which would slip off the radar. It would be, the intention would be there and maybe after a couple of weeks, it would just drop off and suddenly it's not so focused. Um, but the idea is solid. So um, I don't know, I think that embedding something like that in a culture would take time, but I think that it would have value. Um, Fabian, maybe some last words from you on uh, what what you're excited about for next year uh, in this area, and what you're pushing for, um, you know, to to evolve this. Yeah, it's a moment, I guess, together with Scott. So Scott was doing most of the development. We are working on a 
library uh, you're calling uh, Proc UX, so progressive uh, user experience. And um, this is uh, uh, yeah, just a few lines of code and uh, where we try to, to understand what is the current internet connection, uh, what is the browser device capable of. So do we have the newest iPhone or is it a 200 euro uh, um, Android device or... We also try to get into account the user preferences. So, for example, if users want to save data and or don't want to be uh, uh, getting animations because they're getting sick of it. So this is a, little, a combination of um, web performance and accessibility. And um, this is a, yeah, a tool developers can use to make decisions and uh, use progressive enhancement in their code so that we don't... Uh, yeah, that we probably deliver the best experience for every user and not the same experience for every user because for half of our users, probably this experience wouldn't be the best they, they get. So, and yeah, we, we are building a demo page. We are testing a lot there and uh, we also want to come up with uh, an open source uh, RAM tool as well so that you can really uh, track also uh, this people at, and um, yeah, this is what we're currently working on. And uh, next year, hopefully, we we ship this out. So we plan to open source all of these tools, and um, yeah, probably we can have another talk then if everything is ready. Yeah, absolutely. Really looking forward to that. Okay, thanks. So um, next up, we have our uh, segment, True Heroes. In this segment, we want to highlight a few true front-end heroes working across the planet and thank them for all that they do. And this time, we uh, all agreed that we should highlight one Mr. Harry Roberts. Um, Fabian? Yeah, I can take it up. <laughs> uh, so I know Harry from um, conference talks. So first saw him on YouTube and then also uh, live on conference talks in Amsterdam on the WebPerf conference. And Terry is like an independent web performance consulting, and uh, he is um, doing a lot of conference talks, uh, also really good workshops. So we send a lot of our people uh, to attend these workshops about web performance. And um, yeah, he's sharing a lot of very practical things. This is what I like the most about him. So there are others probably where you can learn more technical things, but he's very open how to deal with web performance in real life. And um, this at least helped me a lot also uh, to get this uh, uh, implemented in our projects. Yeah, I, I remember in particular when I was first getting really into coding, you know, uh, well, into building proper websites six years ago or maybe even seven at this stage. Um, he had a site which is still out there called CSS Guidelines, so CSSGuidelin.es, um, that just sort of walked you through, you know, syntax and formatting and all of these things that it can seem so over overwhelming. And there's so many ways to write code and like, what is the proper way? How do you nest things when you're using SAS? And, um, you know, how would you do things in BEM? All of these rules of uh, stylistic choices, having someone that had those defined for me. And this is in the, the the age before linters would yell at you if you weren't using the Airbnb ones. That really helped. And he continues to just push, as you say, these nice, simple solutions. So yeah, um, thanks, Harry. We appreciate all that you do. 
Um, we'll see if we can get Scott back. But in the meantime, uh, any proper hero is a well-rounded one. And so we want to share some simple musical picks today. So uh, I guess we can start with you today, Fabian. Um, what's the favorite thing you've been listening to lately? At the moment, uh, so I'm sitting in Munich and we had the first snow uh, yesterday. So it's getting really cold and I enjoy uh, the last week uh, listening to Pauline and La Playa, Playa. So Spanish music. So this warms up a little bit here, <laughs> the cold Munich. Good. We'll check that out. Scott? Yeah, I've been listening to um, a band called the Black Pumas. Um, and like, a friend put me onto these. Um their, their album's the same name, I think. I think it's Black Pumas, Black Pumas. Um, if you like any kind of, if you like sort of like Motowny feel, like that kind of um, old style uh, music, then, I mean, they're new, but their their music is absolutely fantastic. I think it's a, a really great album. I'd definitely recommend checking that out. Nice. Okay. And uh, carrying on of what Spotify tells me was my most played album and artist of the year. Uh, it's this... A band called Tiasu, T-I-A-S-U. Um, I don't really know much about them. There's no bio on there. Um, and I don't always like all of their albums, actually. But this one in particular is just really good. If if anything, it's chiptune, uh, going back to my video game kind of music roots. Uh, the album is called uh, W underscore Hole. So Hole with the two spellings. It starts off without the W and ends up with the W. It's really good. It's really... Um, uh, no vocals, just instrumental. Um, I don't know. I, I've quite enjoyed it. It's good music to code to as well. Great. So those are some interesting choices to fill your ears with next time. Looks like that is all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, uh, you should like Heart or Star Us and your podcatcher of toys, choice. Reviews and ratings are how those uh, fancy algorithms help people find our content. And the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, uh, send a tweet to us at Heroes Front End, and we will add it to our list. But until next time, heroes, remember, with great front-end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.